0: I don't know about you. I know we were supposed to sing along with her, but I just wanted to sit back and listen to Legend. Um, We should do more of that. You need to come more often. She's got music online too. Uh, You can go check that out. She's fantastic. Um, But we're not here to talk about Legend, right? Um, So one thing that I have always been curious about, that I've wanted to learn about, um, and of course part of it is because I've been appalled about it, is um, German history, specifically the, the history of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. Um, it's just something that I haven't, you can never wrap your head around something like that, right? How, how can such evil exist in this world? How is it possible that people could per- perpetrate these crimes against humanity and people either support them or sit back and allow it to happen. Like, that, that's something that I, I can't understand. And when I can't understand something, I want to learn more about it. Um, however, something that I've been, it's a little variation of that over the last few years that I've been trying to learn more about is, what about after Nazi Germany? What happened after the Third Reich fell? How did this nation that was ruled by Nazis, that, uh, that the people who weren't actively supporting it acquiesced to it, how do you move on from the, the systematic murder of millions of people to now being one of the strongest and most welcoming democracies in the world? How do you get from one spot to another? And most recently, I heard about this, the process. I've been learning about this process that the German people took to get from there to where they are now. And do we have any people who speak German? Anybody? Okay, so I'm gonna put up this word and I wanna hear your pronunciation and then I'm gonna give a pronunciation. So here's the word that describes that process. Okay, so for those of you who couldn't hear it, it went exactly like this. heights Salafar beptune." So I t- as part of my education, I had to take Greek and what I learned is that when you have a word like this that you don't know, you say it fast, and you say it with confidence, and no one's going to question you on it. <laughs> so the word is um, Some people speak in run-on sentences. German people speak in run-on words. So this is like, it's a phrase, a bunch of different words that they've kind of squished together to be one word. And at its, like, most literal, this word, vergangenhait tune I'm not going to pronounce it again. <laughs> it it means working off the past. So this was the process. This is what they described as the process of working off the past. And there's two implications that come along with working off the past. The first is that there's a past that needs to be worked off. Um, you can't sweep this type of history under the rug, right? Um, the the systematic murder of millions of people, uh, the active support of or the acquiescence to, that's not something that you can just ignore and pretend didn't happen. The past has to be worked off. But the other implication is also that the past can be worked off, that you don't have to be defined by your worst, that if you acknowledge it, if you do something with it, there's a brighter future that can be out in front of you. And now, if if you ask German people today, either those who lived through that time or lived in the wake of that time, uh, lived in the Cold War, those who grew up in those those times, uh, they would say different things about how that working off of the past has gone. Many of them will actually say, um, it was too little, we've done too little, and it's too late. However, they've done it. They've put in the work, or they, they're actively putting in the work to make sure that they're continuing to pay attention to that past, to work it off, because they don't want to be defined by it. And they are now at the point where, where Germany is one of the strongest and most welcoming democracies in the world, because they were willing to work off their past. So today we are continuing this, this series that we started at the beginning of the year as we launched this new church, we launched this new series where we are reading through the gospel according to John. Uh, John is one of the four biographies that we have in our Bible about the life of Jesus. And like June said earlier, it's, it's a little bit different than the other four because John kind of colors outside the lines a little bit. He's not as interested in sharing all the facts to know about Jesus as sharing what the experience of Jesus is is like so that's what we're trying to to pay attention to in this series come and see what is the experience of jesus like so we've talked about like the experience of jesus being like tasting the not good wine the best wine when it seems like when it has previously felt like the blessings of god have have run dry or last week we talked about the uh the growing of goodness and justice when it seems like um, all of that ground has has been run fallow. Well, today we're turning to perhaps the most familiar, most popular, most well-known story of any story in the Bible. And you you've probably heard it. Um, you might think that you have it under wraps, and yet what I want us to do as we read this story is read it through that lens of what is the experience of Jesus like. And what does it mean to be working off the past? So, with that, here's the story from John chapter 3. Now, a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a leader who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus replied, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe me, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God, Now this is the basis for judging, that the light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. That was really long. I want to acknowledge that. We're gonna break it down in just a second. Did you catch about three-quarters of the way through John 3.16? You all familiar with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably familiar with John 3.16. How many of you are familiar with this guy? Anybody anybody old enough to remember him? Rainbow Man? No? So Rainbow Man was this guy who went to all of these really big sporting events, and he'd wear this rainbow wig. It's hard to see on the screen. Um, and then he'd either wear this shirt, John 316, or he'd hold up this big sign that said John 316. So you'd see him I- at all of these major sporting events in all of these big shots, and his goal was he was going to convince people, John 316, this is the most important thing to know. Um, a- as I mentioned, this is like the most famous, probably most famous verse of any verse in the Bible. And if something is that well known, something, you've heard it that many times, it, it's pretty easy to be convinced that you've got it figured out, right? It, it almost like is uh, intuitive. You just read it and you know what it says. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that because it fits within this story, right? You can't just pull a verse out and, and know exactly what it means. So once again, that was a longer story, but let's, let's take a step back and break it down a little bit. This man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Nobody else is around to see him coming to Jesus. We're told that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and one of the the leaders of the Jewish council. Now, if if you think of the spectrum of, like, theological beliefs or even political beliefs, sometimes we think of, like, conservative on one end, liberal on the other end, whether politically or theologically— the Pharisees in Jesus are like this. They agree on a whole lot of stuff. Um, in fact, some scholars think that Jesus may have actually been a Pharisee, which is maybe why he was so critical of them. Maybe you're f- most critical of people that you're most uh, alike and when they don't agree with you on things. So he's a Pharisee. He's really close to Jesus on many of the things that he believes. On top of that, He comes to Jesus and he says, um, I've seen and heard the things that you've done, and clearly you are sent from God. He even says, I've seen the signs. Two weeks ago I talked about the signs in John are the signs that point to who Jesus is. These are the miracles. Nicodemus has all of the right answers. He's saying the right things, and he's expecting some sort of reaction from Jesus when he shows up at night. I don't know exactly what he's expecting, but I know that he wasn't expecting what Jesus says, because then Jesus says to him it, it feels like it's random "Unless someone is born from above, they will not enter the kingdom of God." And Nicodemus's response is, "How on earth can you be born again?" I, can, I, can someone go back into their mother's womb? I don't understand. Nicodemus doesn't understand, and you might not understand either because Jesus never says, you must be born again. Did you catch that? Here's another wordplay that's going on, kind of like the German wordplay, except this is happening in Greek. The word that, that is being used here is analthin. You don't need to remember it. Uh, but analthin" in Greek can mean either from above or again. Jesus is trying to speak plainly and say, you must be born from above. Nicodemus hears again, and he's confused. Jesus tries to explain it a little bit more. Nicodemus again doesn't understand what's going on. And then Jesus says, wait a second. You're supposed to be the expert. And you still don't get this? There's something going on here that that we need address. And then he starts, then he goes into uh, John 3.16 and 17 and following, talking about the dark and the light and dealing with with truth. Now, 2,000 years later, we're in 21st century United States. We often read the Bible, read these passages, even read this this verse, John 3.16, specifically through an individual lens. So like, John 3.16 is about us as individuals believing in Jesus and us as individuals uh, being saved. But in the first century in Israel, they would have thought about things in collective terms. What does salvation look like for the community? And this whole story, again, you won't, you won't necessarily notice this if you don't know Greek. It's okay that you don't know Greek, but it's something to know is, this all happens in the plural. When Jesus is saying something to Nicodemus, he's saying you, like plural you, y'all. John doesn't want us to see Nicodemus as one person. Nicodemus is representative of a group of people, of, of a type of person who, who, wants to, who wants to hang out in the dark, but wants the benefits of the light. Nicodemus is the type of person who doesn't, doesn't necessarily want to be born from above, because that might require something from him. He doesn't necessarily want to work off the past. He wants to concern himself with what, what to believe rather than who to become. Now that might seem harsh to you that, that Jesus would loop not only Nicodemus but a whole group of people in, in that category. But in reality, Jesus isn't trying to be harsh. He's not trying to like, lay this guilt on him. He's just trying to be a realist Say, listen. We've got we plural. We've got stuff that we have to face, that we have to sort through, that we ourselves have done, or we have collectively participated in, and we do so because we don't need to be defined by that anymore. If we're willing to deal with it, we can come out better on the other side. I, I grew up memorizing John three sixteen. I was always curious because I didn't read it in context. We were not taught to read the Bible like that. Um, I was always curious about what John 3.17 said. Here's what John 3.17 says: For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Jesus is, is saying this to Nicodemus, to the, the people who Nicodemus represents. To, to anyone who is maybe un, unwilling or uninterested in working off the past, he's saying, you don't need to be defined by that. You don't need to feel guilty about that. You should be excited about what working off the past might do for you, because there is redemption that can come from working off the past. Back to 1940s Germany after the war, um, there was this idea of how do we denazify Germany? It was actually a denazification, that's a, that's a real word that was used. And the Allied forces came in, and they decided they were going to try to force it on the German people. There were actual posters that were made with pictures of piles of bodies from concentration camps. And they were, they were put all over town with the headline, This Atrocity, Your Fault. The idea was that they, if, if they put that right in front of the Germans' people's faces, then they would do something about what had happened. In German, apparently, fault is also the same word for guilt. So, the German people had this thrown in their faces, this is your fault, this is your guilt, you need to own it. Guess what? That is not what put them through that process of working out the past. They had to come to that conclusion themselves they had to do their own soul-searching. And given that ability to do that, given their ability to start working off the past, given their ability to be born from above, as Jesus might say, they came out better and stronger on the other side, being able to deal with what had happened and saying, we're not defined by that. There is redemption for us. Now, I can say that 2,000 years after this story um, 80 years after the, the world war, we, we as individuals, but also we collectively as, as a people, as, as a country, as a world, we've got a past that I think that we need to figure out how to work out. Th- that can involve many different things, and I'm not going to name those things because um, that's not my job to name those things. And me guilting you or anybody else guilting you is not going to accomplish that. One thing, however, that I am constantly aware of about working off the past because I'm a pastor and a church planter is the, the past of the wrongs that the church has done. For 2,000 years, these people who are, who are supposed to be following Jesus have done all sorts of really bad things in Jesus' name. And they've often used the Bible to promote those things, to justify those things. The Gospel of John specifically, and even this passage with Nicodemus, has been used as an anti-Semitic trope. The idea is that Nicodemus represents all the Jews. All of the Jews at the time of Jesus did not understand Jesus. The Jews are the ones who killed Jesus. Therefore, the Jews have that guilt and that fault on them. There's a whole lot of, of, of past that the church has to work off. And it can't be done easily, it can't be done necessarily quickly, but this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why the Grove Cottage Grove exists, is because we believe that we can create a space where we can grow goodness, where healing, wholeness, and beauty can actually happen. Uh, Where people who have felt like they needed to leave the church or never felt welcome in the first place can find a place where they belong. That is why, that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Isn't that like the good news of Jesus? Isn't that, I mean, the, the, um, the Greek word for good news is gospel. Isn't that the gospel? That no matter what you have done in the past, it can be made up for. That no matter what was done in the dark, it can be brought into the light, and bringing it into the light we can experience redemption. That is my prayer for us, as individuals, as a church, as a country, as a world, that we can acknowledge our past, we can work it off, and we can experience all that goodness out in front of us. Let it be so.